Now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to another edition of Shout Out with me, Matthew Tosh. And me, Steffi Barnett. On this week's show, we have a treat for Doctor Who fans as we speak to Sophie Isles. Mmm, Hidea takes the My Five slot and we have another instalment from Fighting with Pride. Plus news, music and so much more. Ooh. Here we are again. Welcome aboard. If you're new to Shout Out, we're here every week. And it is uh, exactly what it says on the tin. LGBT radio for you. Actually, it's a bit beyond LGBT. It goes much further. LGBTQIA. We're the full spectrum. And we have a team that represents it as well. And um, I'm just going to delve into my lucky dip drawer. And uh, just, uh, oh, we know we've got Steffi. Hello, Steffi. Hi. Good evening, everyone. Okay, let's let's see. I'll just have a route round, see who else we can find. Who's that over in the corner there? Is that in that, in that cupboard? Is that... It's Terry Starr. It is. Hello, Terry. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. How's the cupboard this week? It's a little bit dark, actually, because the nights are drawing in. So oh. I'm just illumin- illuminated by candles. <laughs> uh, Poised over my desk with uh, a quill pen. And Do you know I feel as though I'm on the Andy Pandy show and I'm just coming out of the basket or getting into the basket? <laughs> Oh dear! It always worried me when they got in the basket at the end. There's, I'm sure there was a bit of troilism going on with little Ted and Loopy Lou. You do realise there's going to be people listening to this that have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Good. <laughs> I used to watch Andy Pandy when I was a very small toddler. They were still showing the black and white ones in the early seventies. Yeah. Did you have the outfit BBC. though, Terry? The Loopy Lou outfit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear that's no that's no well maybe i was teddy the big bear oh, i think that's more like it isn't it <laughs> thank you right hang on hang on hang on we just have a delve around as we can find just have a route round here just uh, hang on just a bit it's, it's ezra hello ezra oh hello i felt that tickled me armpit <laughs> sorry about that all the way over the radio wave it's amazing what you can do with ip connections isn't it how are you this week I'm very good, thank you. I don't think I remember that show. I do remember um, something to do with the lamb chop and play days. And oh, play days! I remember play days. Yes. What is oh, the yeah. uh, okay? I'll just what, what's the earliest TV show that you can each remember? I'll start with you, uh, Steffi. Um, she can remember before TV, so I don't know um, if that. I don't <laughs> I suppose. Um, Andy Pandy and oh, what was uh, Bill and Ben, the Flower Pot Men? The original, the original puppets. Yeah, Yeah, I used to love it when they went through the fence into the back garden. Oh, adventure. (laughs) Terry, what about you then? What was the first one you can remember? Um, I always had a vague memory of a cartoon programme of a boy who drew on walls with chalk and his drawings came to life. And I did some investigation and um, there was such a programme made by Thames Television for the ITV network in the 70s. Oh, wow. Okay, you, but you, you no idea what it was what it was called. It was called Simon in the Land of Chalk Drawings. There we are. Okay. Uh, for, ooh, uh, Ezra, what was yours? 
I would say um, Button Moon was probably <gasps> one of my first. Oh, and yes. uh, the Wombles. Um, oh, the Wombles. Are, the, the Wimbles of the, Wombledon. The, the, yeah, Wimbledon, Wombledon, Wombledon Green. That's not the right lyrics. No, but they, yeah. it's close. There's a bit of a yeah. spoonism going there. But yeah, I remember uh, Button Moon uh, with Mr. S- Mr. Spoon going to the moon. That's right. And Rosie and Jim, I don't know if you remember that, but I can still sing the theme tune to that one. I don't <laughs> think I remember that. I remember that. Rosie and Jim, yeah. On the narrowboat, Terry. Yeah. Who was the yeah, guy no. who had a special wardrobe, used to dress up and go through... Was he? Did he go through a door or something? As soon as he dressed up into whatever, he went through the door. Mr Ben. Yeah. Yeah, Mr Ben. Um... And I, I remember, uh, probably the one, the first ones I remember, I remember uh, Trumpton and Camberwick Green. Oh, classics. Oh, yes. And characters yes. like Windy Miller and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, gosh, that was a flashback and uh, feeling old now. <laughs> right, we need to move on before we, we, whilst we recover and gather our breath for the next link. Um, we're going to go over to Hidea now. It's for their uh, monthly update. They've got the My Five slot. So uh, we'll have a look, see what they've got to say. Dear shout out radio listeners, my name is Osman, my pronouns are he, him, I identify as a gay Muslim man. I volunteer for an organisation called Hadaya. Our mission is to provide support for queer Muslims and promote social justice and education around the queer Muslim community to counter discrimination, prejudice and injustice. Today's segment I would like to discuss so-called conversion therapy, sometimes called reparative therapy or gay cure therapy. This practice tries to change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. Before Stonewall and the ensuing gay rights movement, it was firmly believed homosexuality was a mental disorder that should be treated. Queer people were locked up, submitted to electroshock therapy, open abuse and even forced castration. Despite decades of research against this terrible practice, with almost every internationally recognised medical body condemning it, Gay conversion therapy is still a modern-day institution that is legal in many parts of the world today. The current practice of conversion therapy may include talking therapy, prayer, and at more extreme forms can include exorcisms, physical violence, and food deprivation. Back in May, the UK government decided to move to ban conversion therapy and provide more support to those in the LGBT community who have undergone the treatment as part of it part of its post-pandemic government agenda. Many LGBT plus organisations are pushing for this ban to happen sooner. Hadaya is an organisation that supports LGBT plus Muslims with a cross-section of issues unique to the LGBT community. One of these issues is the harmful effects of LGBT plus individuals who face after experiencing conversion therapy. Hadaya has helped vulnerable people seeking counselling after an experience with conversion therapy. Some of our members present distinct challenges that require special consideration. Experiences such as both sexual and spiritual identity crisis, symptoms of depression and anxiety, hopelessness, sexual dysfunction and symptoms of post-traumatic stress, just to name a few. Mainstream medical and mental health professionals have rejected these dangerous practices of conversion therapy. Many sources confirm conversion therapy can lead to mental health deterioration, drug and alcohol addiction, homelessness and even suicide. Unfortunately, due to continuing discrimination and societal bias against LGBTQ plus people, 
some faith groups and organizations continue to promote this toxic and dangerous practice. The news that a ban on conversion therapy is getting closer to being law is, a, is good news, albeit this government has not acted quick enough since the original commitment. However, creating a consultation on this topic specifically for professional counsellors and religious bodies is deeply trouble, troubling. Hadaya supports queer Muslims, something seemingly scarce for double and sometimes triple minority individuals within society, and this makes them more vulnerable to this form of harmful practice. Hadaya exists because queer Muslims struggle immensely to reconcile not only their faith and gender and sexual identity, but also reconciling with their families, the Muslim community, the wider com queer community and heteronormative life. We always encourage discussions on these topics, but not at the price of suppressing someone's identity. It, is it should also be noted that in April this year, the government's LGBT advisory board disbanded due to frustrations with the minister. As someone who has experienced first-hand conversion therapy, this consultation is deeply troubling. But in response to this, we encourage everyone to respond to the consultation to make it clear this government that there are no excuses nor exemptions for conversion therapy. We would also like to reference Stonewall's statement at the time, which sums up our opinion too of the delay of bringing this forward, this bill. Thank you for listening to this segment today. Please do follow us on Hedaya LGBT. Thank you for listening. Bye. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Oh, now for all the folk fans who follow us, that is for you. That was Kate Rusby with Awkward Annie. Like that. Good. Yeah, right. beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I'm just trying to mix things up a little bit because you have to remember we're a broad society and I uh, want to cater for all the music tastes as well. And now it's time for the news. So I'll show across and hand over to the news team. This is Shout Out News headlines on Thursday the 16th of September. Pink News reports that the Channel 4 drama about life and love during the horrendous AIDS pandemic of the 1980s won startling awards at the National Television Awards last week, broadcast live on the ITV network. It's a sin titled after the Pet Shop Boys single from the period starred Ollie Alexander of pop group Years and Years and was written by Russell T Davies, the man who had brought BBC One's flagship sci-fi show Doctor Who back to the air in 2005. Davies 58 said at the awards, which took place at London CO2, I'd just like to say this is a story about a pandemic in which many people lost their lives. So I'd like to dedicate this award to those we lost, those who lived, those who learned and those we loved. 32 million people died during the AIDS pandemic globally, but a global fight back against indifference and incompetence led by gay men, lesbian, he lesbians health activists, drug users and sex workers changed the face not only of HIV research but initiated today's patient-centred healthcare protocols. Last weekend saw the 20th anniversary of the terrorist atrocity that has gone down in history as 9-11. 
On the 11th of September 2001, Islamist fundamentalists, with a warped understanding of religion, underpinned by hatred of many things, including democracy, women's rights and LGBTQ freedom, murdered in cold blood just under 3,000 people in New York. Many LGBTQIA people stood up for freedom, however, and were heroes during those dark times. Pink News reports that one of them, Catholic priest Father Michael Judge, was the first recorded victim of the collapsing Twin Towers. He was the chaplain to the New York City Fire Department and went with his team to the site of the unfolding atrocity, searching for survivors, survivors, I beg your pardon, where he was killed by falling debris. Father Michael had a long history of acting in a bold manner for all communities, including the LGBTQIA people of New York. He wanted to help the homeless and founded one of the first Catholic HIV and AIDS ministries in New York City at the peak of the AIDS crisis. Father James Martin, who is a Jesuit priest, believes that as a gay hero, Father Michael should be considered by the Catholic Church for sainthood. Father Judge's selflessness is a reminder of the sanctity that the Church often overlooks in LGBTQ people, Martin said. Heaven is filled with LGBTQ people. All the church has to do is to start to recognise this. The path to beatification of a person is very complicated and involves the reporting of a number of committees to the Pope. Nevertheless, there is no reason that many church observers can see that Father Michael's incredible heroism and selflessness cannot be celebrated in this way. The antics of anti-transgender feminists have included many textbook operations from the far right, including disrupting pride parades, trampling on rainbow flags, fly-postering liberal media like The Guardian and developing evidence less conspiracy theories that criminal women were secretly trans. Now feminist icon Judith Butler, who has 30 years' experience in fighting for women's liberation, puts the anti-trans groups firmly in their place in an un uncompromising interview. Butler, who is a respected philosopher and academic, said the trans-exclusionary radical feminists and the so-called gender-critical writers have rejected the important work in feminist philosophy of science, showing how culture and nature interact in favour of a regressive and superior from biological essentialism. Butler continued, it is very appalling and sometimes quite frightening to see how trans-exclusionary feminists have allied with right-wing attacks on gender. Anti-gender ideology is one of the dominant strains of fascism in our times and added anti-trans feminists will not be part of the contemporary struggle against fascism. Judith Butler has a lengthy entry in the online encyclopedia Wikipedia which reflects her importance to feminist philosophy. We put a link to it on our website. Now, the, oldest, the country's oldest fair trade company, Tradecraft, have issued their autumn and winter catalogue. The publication will be of great interest to those many LGBTQIA plus people who take ecological and ethical shopping decisions on a daily basis. As well as detailing latest initiatives in ethical trading around the globe, the Tradecraft catalogue showcases the company's produce for autumn and winter. Some of the merchandise includes fair trade rainbow plates, teapots and mugs, and even a fair trade rainbow bedspread. For your copy, check out the website at tradecraftshop.co.uk. And the BBC News Channel reports that anti-vaccination extremists have been trying to punish those removing their illegal fly posters by placing razor blades behind the literature, which has been appearing on bus stops and on transport platforms nationwide. The RMT Trade Union, which found such razor blade posters on the London Underground Network, called on authorities to severely punish those responsible. LGBTQIA plus and anti-racist campaigners will note that similar tactics were formerly employed by representatives of extremist right-wing groups who sought to maim their opponents by placing blades beneath posters. 
And finally, on October the 26th, Armistead Morpin is coming to Bristol St George Hall in an evening of conversation and questions. The gay novelist is perhaps best known for his sequence of nine novels, collectively called The Tales of the City. First appearing as a soap opera in the San Francisco Chronicle from 1978, the stories have inspired a television series and are beloved of people around the globe as they detail the intertwined lives of a blended family of queer people in the city. Morpin's non-fiction includes a memoir of his life and times in San Francisco's LGBTQIA scene in which he advocates the idea of a logical family of like-minded people who for many of our tribes replace birth families. Book reviewer and online personality Simon Savage will be the host of the Bristol Date of the Tour. For these news stories in further detail and much much more check out our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For shoutout news this has been Terry Starr and Ezra Peregrine. Shout out news, national and international LGBT news for you. Shout out LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. What a great question. Where are the men? Uh, That was uh, You Think You're a Man. And it was by Full Frontal. And I'm sure there'll be people sitting there thinking, oh, that was the theme tune. That was the theme tune. As, of course, it was featured on Queer as Folk. There we go. Do we, do we remember that team? Oh, yes. yes Love that the, track, Matthew. An original version by Divine, I think. I'm channeling Andy H here. But oh, there um, might be. Uh, I uh, think, yeah, the Divine recorded it. At one okay. Okay. Well, that was, that was certainly the Full Frontal version. So, uh, yep. so, so to speak... <laughs> Uh, there we go. Now, Terry, I know you're getting a bit excited because this next uh, feature is going to... You're going to be tuned into this. This is for Whovians because our very own Steffi Barnett had the opportunity to talk to Sophie Isles. Let's hear how she got on. LGBTQ folks tend to be very artistic people. And one of those is Sophie Isles. And Sophie joins me now. Sophie, Hello. 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 <laughs> Give me a bit of background about yourself. So how do you identify? So I identify as non-binary. Okay. So she, they, pronounce okay. verbally. Um, and I identify myself as a... I, I do struggle with this one in terms of my creative career because I would say I'm a writer. I would say I'm an artist. But I think overall I'm a creator. I like to create oh, things. I like so, that. I think creator, like a creator sounds, well, it's not as much of a mouthful as saying, <laughs> I'm a writer and artist every time. But um, yeah, I create lots of different things. So yeah, right. I prefer that. <laughs> okay. Now, one of the things that um, sprung out um, to me was Doctor Who. Yes. How did you get involved with Doctor Who? Have you always been a great fan? Yes. Wait, well... It's it's an interesting one. I um, had no interest whatsoever as a child. So my, my um, the unfortunate thing about my upbringing was my parents weren't really into TV. They were very into uh, Only Fools and Horses and uh, Vicar of Dibley and certain comedies. Nothing but wrong with those. <laughs> no, no. And they were great, by the way. We're standing here going, they are great shows. But... Um, sci-fi and fantasy and stuff like that wasn't really their bag so it wasn't something that we would sit around together as a family to watch which is what we would do for everything else 
And it was only when I started university that I actually got into Doctor Who, thanks to a few friends of mine in the uh, Anime Society. This was a good few years ago. I'm talking over a decade ago now that I got into it. But I was 18 compared to quite a few of my friends, even today, who got into Doctor Who when they were like four or five when the new series came back. But I was about 15 when the series came back. And by that point, I felt I was kind of over it like I was 15 and I was about to do my GCSEs and go on and to do my A-levels and I didn't it was kind of beneath me at the time which is such a horrible thing to say now but at the time that's how it felt um and I'm glad I saw the error of my ways (laughs) um in my late teens. Now you're obviously Far too young to remember the first uh, series with Mm. uh, William Hartnell. Um, Now, have you actually watched those, the original Black and White? So you're going to laugh. They're my favourites. So that's what happened. Basically, I I became very into the new series. And then I would say it was around five or six years ago that I decided, oh, well, I'll go back and I'll watch some of the classic ones. And at first I wasn't so keen. I, 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 it was quite hard for me to get into. So I, I watched kind of in the wrong order, really. I started with the last classic series, which is Sylvester McCoy with Sophie Aldred, and kind of slowly worked my way back. But a friend of mine recommended the audio dramas, which were made by a company called Big Finish and still make today. And and they do stories throughout the Doctor Who history with the original cast, if they can get hold of them and if they're interested in playing those parts. So you've still got Tom Baker and Peter Davison and you've still got Colin Baker and uh, Sylvester McCoy are still doing their roles many, many years later. So it's really lovely to do. Um, But they had William Hartnell stories. So I was like, oh, I'll give give these a listen. And it was because of those audios that I found myself really wanting to dive into those series. And before I knew it, they became my favourites. I don't know what it what happened, but almost overnight, I just became completely hooked on the William Hartnell era. So oh. I, I I love my, my edgy granddad who likes to hit cavemen with rocks and steal <laughs> his companions. It's very amusing. Yeah, for our um, listeners who probably haven't seen the originals, it was uh, very cheaply done, lots of uh, smoke and balsa wood. I think the, the TARDIS kept falling apart, didn't it? Because it was just made of balsa wood. It was if they uh, banged the door too hard on the um, on the phone box, it would yeah. fall apart. Yeah, like the sets, because like, they, they filmed everything live, so it didn't go out live necessarily but it was all done live in a sense and the um the difficulties they had with like the doors not closing properly and people standing in the wrong places and being unable to edit um when they've you know fluffed their lines the amount of times that William Hartnell fluffed his lines and they had to keep it in uh (laughs) added in the end added to his character um so that that was always quite amusing and quite fun to uh to watch when you're watching it because it was made in the 60s yeah so it's, it's a fascinating piece of tv history it is. to watch sci-fi drama back then being made in the uk yeah do you know the first broadcast of it didn't go too well there was lots of um interference on um on the bbc at the time mm. so the following weekend they showed the first episode and the second one again 
They did, yeah. yeah. I did know that. No, yeah. I, I know that because um, if you if you're anyone here is interested and not such a big fan of the show, but kind of a casual viewer, there's a um, a really good docudrama called um, An Adventure in Space and Time or Adventure in Time and Space. I can never remember which way around it is, but it was produced by Mark Gatiss um, and written by Mark Gatiss for the anniversary that they did back in 2013. And it's, a, it's the story of the creation of Doctor Who with, with her first... I think it was she was the BBC's first female producer. Um, and you had the first Indian director who was gay. And that, you know, it was amazing, these two very key characters in creating Doctor Who um, come to inspire a generation of people. So mm. I highly recommend that. It's very good. And very of course, good actors, isn't it? part of what stuck with Doctor Who and hasn't changed that much, has been updated, is the theme tune by the, uh, the original by the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, oh, I love the theme tune so much. Yeah, which is it's, your favourite, the original or the more modern versions? I do like I do like the original quite a bit, but to be honest, there's I quite like the Sylvester McCoy one. I like the kind of this real eighties kind of uh, play around with it. But then I do get a bit of a thrill hearing the Christopher Eccleston one again because it was like the first time I really watched Doctor Two was with the Christopher Eccleston one when I was shown it. Mm. Um, but I like them all. I think even the the most recent one, which was with a new composer um, for Jodie Whittaker's era, the bass that they use for it is still the same theme, but they really remix it. So yeah. it's really heavy bassy. Mm. So that's really like really really fun to listen to as well. Mm. Now tell me about your art. One of your um, one of your pieces of art is every one of the Doctors, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Well, I, I, it's, I've, I've done that quite a few times. So one of my, one of my first ever commissions um, was someone asking me to draw all of the doctors, um, which I did. Um, fortunately, the man David passed away a few years ago now, but it took me ages and it was really difficult to do. And then by like three or four years later. I was like, I want to try to draw them all again. So I now, I have now drawn all the doctors again. I have drawn all the masters and I've drawn, so all the classic doctors, all the new doctors, and then all the, all the masters who are like, if you're not aware, the kind of the uh, opposite number to the, to the, the main character of the doctor. So the enemy, um, and there's been quite a few different versions of them as well. Um, and I've drawn all of those. So that's been really fun to do. Now, if it's all right with you, I'd like to um, obviously put um, one of those uh, within the show when it goes mm-hmm. out as a podcast. So, because obviously radio is a bit difficult to show visuals. Um, of course, yeah. Um, and because uh, it's it's brilliant, I am I absolutely love it, Sophie. It is oh, so well you. done. Yeah, and what's good is you can recognise every single doctor. <laughs> it's so plain. You've done it so well. Now, you, you do art as well, but you write. I do. OK, yes. tell me a bit about your writing. So uh, it started off doing fan stuff for Doctor Who. And then that kind of led to um, original work. So original work that I've done, um, I've written a story for a uh, anthology called uh, Sock Hops and Seances, which was um, a kind of lots of short stories all based around the 1950s with kind of ghostly 
spooky themes. And I did that, and that was really good. But while I was writing that, the company I mentioned before, Big Finish Productions, were looking for people to write for them for short stories to be included on their CD releases. So I kind of pitched an idea for that, which then became part of, you know, uh, I think it was released with a Christmas special that they did a few years ago. And ever since I've been doing little bits and pieces for Big Finish, some of it that's out and some that isn't. I think the biggest one so far, um, last year they released a kind of big multimedia event called Time Lord Victorious. And I wrote a short story about the master, but the original master. So very much like William Hartnell had a, was an, the original doctor. There was an original master who was a man called Roger Delgado who played alongside um, John Pertwee. And they hadn't actually written many stories for him, but they approached me and another man, uh, Simon Gurrier, who was lovely, um, to write these short stories for the master to be included in these events. And uh, they came out last year and they were a big hit. People seem to really like the stories. And um, I, I'm still doing stuff. Um, lots of stuff behind the scenes. I write for the Doctor Who magazine occasionally, sometimes reviews, sometimes articles. And um, still have lots of original work kind of in progress and uh this unfortunately can't be talked about because they're in the hands of publishers but, oh uh, no i know it's really frustrating um but, you're yeah, gonna have to come back on to i'm going to i'm gonna have to i think this time next year there'll be more out so i'll be able to be like oh hey <laughs> but yes it can be quite frustrating in that way i tell you a lot of our listeners are dot who fans and um one in particular is our news editor terry star who is absolutely uh, loves Doctor Who and always has, and he, he's very knowledge about knowledgeable about it, but probably not as knowledgeable as you, Sophie. We've run completely out of time, I'm afraid. Now, obviously, because you've actually given us a hint that, that there's secret things that are just about to be released, how can people keep in touch with you on social media so that ah. they know when these do come out? Well, the best place to follow me on is probably Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter under Soph, S-O-P-H, Isles, I-L-E-S, Tweets. So Soph Isles Tweets uh, at Twitter.com. Um, I do have a Facebook page and I do have a website. So the website is sophieisles.co.uk and the Facebook page is Sophie Isles Art. But I would recommend Twitter to be the best place. It is where I'm... I put my things most readily available up. It's usually my first place to share anything. So, yeah, come come talk to me on Twitter about all things Doctor Who. I'm always excited to hear about it. You've got them queuing up now, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie Isles, thank you for joining us on Shout Out. Thank you so much for having me. Shout Out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. That is Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Two Tribes. You're, of course, listening to Shout Out. And next, we have our final, uh, well, our, our next instalment, actually, not final instalment, next instalment from Fighting with Pride. This is Dave. Until the turn of the century, the British Armed Forces engaged in the social cleansing of a group of their own people seen as a threat to its existence. LGBT plus personnel matched the courage of peers on the battlefield 
but, if discovered, were arrested, interrogated, subjected to degrading medical examinations and court-martial. Working with the charity Fighting with Pride, we're telling the stories of people who served or were directly affected by this gay ban. Hi, my name's David Tovey. I served in the army from 1991 to 1997. I got to the rank of Lance Corporal, um, which I was really, really proud of. I wanted to be a chef. Like I wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps. I couldn't afford to go to college. Um, so for me, it was my way out of poverty as such, um, because we lived in a very poor working class community. My dad was like, well, you know, the army's great. Like, you know, you can get your, your training, you get a job, you, you, you find a community there, you know, it, it's, it's something that would be really, really good for you. I was a very, very young 16. I hadn't gone through puberty. I was five foot four. I was a tiny little skinny thing. And I remember when I was doing my um, Oath of Allegiance, the, the sergeant major there was that big Scottish guy and he was just like, he went to see more fat on a chip, um, <laughs> which just cracked me up. Yeah, I was, I was this tiny little lad and I didn't really know life. You know, I, I'd literally left school and three weeks later, I was in the armed forces. I didn't even know about sex, uh, let alone sexuality. And I didn't know there was a ban on gay people because at that time I didn't know what a gay person was. I started to realize around about 95, I think it was. And it started to freak me out a little bit because I didn't really know because, you know, I'd never met another queer person. I'd never been to any bar club or anything like this. So I didn't really know what was happening at the time. I kept thinking that people were going to notice, you know, because I was feeling different mm -hmm. and becoming quite self-conscious about it all. Because I knew that something wasn't right, when there was sort of like manly sort of activities and stuff like that, I'd always volunteer. So it, it was sort of like putting that mask up. I tried to sign out several times uh, to leave the army because I felt like my time was done. That's the official uh, reason. The real reason was because I was coming to terms with myself that I was queer. I, at the time, was serving as a chef attached to three para uh, and one para. They are quite hardcore um, battalions to be attached to. I was absolutely petrified about people finding out about my sexuality because I think if they found out at that time when I was in, I dread to think what I would have went through. Not just from the bullying side of things, but also the physical abuse I think um, I would have received as well. It would have been hell and probably would have caused me even more mental health problems than what I actually went through subsequently. I did this boxing competition. I had to lose a lot of weight and because I was really, really skinny out of there. One of the sergeant majors out there, I think he just didn't take a liking to me. Um, and he started to sort of like call me syndrome as in A's victim syndrome. At the time it affected me, but I didn't realize it affected me as much as it did. Then in 2012, when I got diagnosed HIV positive, those memories of me being associated with AIDS at the time came flooding back and caused me huge, huge problems. 
because I kept saying, well, that it was obviously meant to be because that's what was written for me type thing. It was fate that I was going to end up with this disease. But I then look at all that and think, well, actually, good. I'm glad that they said that to me because it actually has given me so much strength to fight for veterans, for people who have gone through similar things to me. Because I think, like, you know, we have to not be afraid anymore, not um, feel ashamed of anything, and actually stand up and actually say, I'm proud of who I am now, um, of what I have achieved. I hope that as time goes on, LGBT veterans will get more acknowledgement for what parts we played, for the jobs that we did. I have hope. There's always hope. You've been listening to Fighting With Pride, produced by John Dash Media with the support of the Audio Content Fund. For more information, visit fightingwithpride.org.uk. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. For more information about Shoutout Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shoutout. LGBT Radio for you. Now, we played you the new release from ABBA, well, half of it last week, so it was only right that we played the other half this week. So that was uh, ABBA, Don't Shut Me Down. Following on from that... uh, well, the hard-hitting interview, I thought. We've had a whole series of these going on. If uh, you want to catch the others, just go to our website and you just heard me read out the address and you'll be able to tune into the other ones as well. So, team, um, ABBA, is, uh, is, that, is, that on your, is that on your radar? Do you, is anyone going to go see the show, the, the Avatars? Oh, I'd love to see that, Matthew. I really would. It looks good. Did you see them when they were being filmed doing it? They were all in grey with yes. sensors all over them. Oh, with their special suits on. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. I love Abba. It's absolutely like an Abba remake of Tron. Abba remake of Tron, yes. indeed. I have heard a few people yes, saying... it's a lovely, a lovely songs. I have heard a few people saying it's a little bit cheating, but it's also embracing technology isn't it i mean which i think is uh it's, it's gonna be interesting I, I perhaps one shouldn't judge it without going to see it yeah indeed Matthew. yeah and you don't have to go Otherwise. you know no, no of course you don't nobody's forcing <laughs> you to go absolutely uh terry um i understand that whilst we know you've had, you've had a, a bit of an update come through some some news for us we have just a little bit of breaking news is that the BBC is reporting this evening that arrests have been made in the case of the murder by dissident Republicans of the lesbian journalist and essayist Lyra McKee. You may remember that those that listen to the programme every week, uh, she was murdered uh, covering riots in Derry or London Derry, uh, whichever you prefer, uh, back in 2019. So um, there have been arrests made, so we'll be following that uh, in the news as things develop in the coming weeks. Yes, indeed. Well, so, yeah. yeah, thank you for for that, Terry. And uh, yeah, no never problem. never nice to, to to have to cover a, a, a murder inquiry. At uh, no, um, let's turn our thoughts now to uh, something a little bit more positive. I just wonder what your your thoughts were, Terry, of our Hoovian special. Wasn't that fantastic? Really enjoyable. What a scoop! Yes, 
Yeah, very much so. And um, there are some wonderful classic episodes and I do recommend watching them. And um, I guess made reference to the wonderful William Hartnell who died many, many years ago. In fact, if he was still alive, I think he'd be now 112, something like that. Um, He (laughs) He looked 112 when he was doing it. (laughs) He was was the first doctor back in the 60s. And his fluffs on lines were fantastic. In fact, once he told his companions... If the Daleks get you, you'll end up a couple of burnt cinders floating around in Spain. He meant to say space. I love the idea of the Daleks rendering people incompetent uh, and and floating around in Spain. uh, uh, That's hilarious. Terry, do you want me to do the bed while you're talking? Wow. I would... Incredibly realistic. I yeah, was it sounds just like the BBC Radio Forty Workshop, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, wow, Perhaps something so. else. <laughs> in stereo as well. Tune- and theme tune realised by a woman working at the BBC Radio Forty. <laughs> and that's the thing, yeah. So, yeah, Delia Derbyshire. It's like I was floating hero. around with Daleks in Spain. It was that realistic, I must say. It's <laughs> <laughs> about as accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I must admit, I, I know possibly a controversial. I remember John Pertwee. He was my the first one I, I remember. Well, actually, no, I I, um, I think I just missed the end of that. I, I remember it was um, oh uh, the deep voice Tom Baker. Tom Baker was the first Tom one I Baker. remember. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. And Sylvester McCoy. I know he was a, he was a bit a bit out there. Sylvester McCoy, a bit a bit different, but yeah. There we go. It is. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> Well, we'd love to talk more about Doctor Who, but we've run out of time. But you can join us next week when we will be at the movies and talking all things by visibility. Don't forget that you can listen to previous shows by visiting our website on shoutoutradio.lgbt. Thank you for being with us, and we look forward to your company again next week. Until then, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Shout out. LGBT radio for you.